to see you here. Uh, welcome to Union Grove Baptist Church, those watching on the internet and those coming in. And uh, we got lots to look at again tonight. And uh, as always, we're going to start out with Prophecy Focus Global Update. And uh, interesting, how many, oh, I'm not going to ask that question, if you were here Sunday night. Of course, we always pack the place out Sunday morning. Sunday night is a uh, much smaller crowd. And then, of course, we have Wednesday. But uh, uh, many of you uh, probably were not here Sunday night. And I went through a particular article and as on occasion happens, after I did some fact-checking, I wasn't real happy about what I had said on uh, Sunday night. So that's one of the things uh, that you got to be careful about. And uh, unfortunately, uh, one of the sources I used was, uh, let's say, not uh, very reliable. And I'm going to address that in just a moment. We're going to go back to that article and then... Uh, the research I did based on that article to find out maybe they pushed uh, the envelope a little further than they should have. So, uh, again, what I'm referring to, uh, we'll get to that in just a moment, but I want to start out with a couple of things regarding the European Union, EU. Citizens unite to combat WHO, all right, for our first 10-point giveaway. What is WHO? Household word, right? Uh, what's WEF? There you go. Well, it took you guys a minute. You got uh, two acronyms in a row. That's too, too many. But uh, World Health Organization, World Economic Forum. But this one happens to be the World Health Organization. Uh, what's taking place around on a global scale, which is why this is extremely important. Um, we'll be looking at Klaus Schwab in, in, uh, after this particular article and his daughter, which I brought up uh, last Sunday night. Uh, but the European Union, basically, here's, here's, they're rebelling. And I'm glad they're rebelling because when you have world organizations or globalist organizations, they have a very specific agenda in mind, and that particular agenda affected every single person in this room two years ago uh, based on massive lockdowns, uh, travel lockdowns. Uh, I mean, folks that uh, in Milwaukee area and other uh, major urban areas were locked out of things uh, for a considerable length of time. So... Uh, we're going to, it's very interesting because when we get to the next article, we're going to talk about from a secular standpoint, things that we've been saying from a Christian standpoint, and things are really starting to line up uh, when it comes to the prophetic word. All right, let's go to uh, this article, European Union Citizens Unite to Combat the World Health Organization Pandemic Treaty. New Trust and Freedom Initia Initiative confronts tyranny head-on. Now, that's, that's some loaded words, right? Uh, they're confronting tyranny. So citizens of the United Nations have come together to launch the Trust and Freedom Initiative to push back against the World Health Organization's proposed pandemic treaty. All right, so what in the world does all that mean? The new initiative was unveiled at the European Parliament in Brussels, Belgium, on July 4, 2023, 
when the representatives gathered together with members of European Parliament to speak out against the tyrannical treaty. The treaty has the potential to give new levels of power and control to the World Health Organization. Catch this now with regards to lockdown, mask mandates, and other restrictions. According to a press release about the launch, the Trust and Freedom Initiative is a resolute response to the power consolidation observed in governments and institutions where extensive negotiations with non-governmental and non-transparent organizations, such as the World Health Organization, occur. Citizens express concerns about the looming threat to freedom of choice, particularly regarding personal health decisions, as well as a loss of trust in governmental institutions negotiating legal documents, such as amendments to the International Health Regulation and the proposed two treaty. All right, so here's, here's the, um, again, most of you, and, and based on what I said, what's WHO, I think we got almost 100% of the folks saying, oh, yeah, World Health Organization. All right, so here, here's the issue. When our president got involved with the World Health Organization, one of the things that they brought to the table on an international level was, Who's going to be in charge of Americans' health? And I mean, it was it was pretty contentious between conservatives and liberals, if you will, regarding how much of our freedom do we want to not only give up to the federal system, but now to an international global system. In other words, do you want the WHO, whoever's leading that? literally to have a say globally on treatments that are going to take place right here in Union Grove. And uh, it's like, wait a minute. So we have our local government, we have our state government, we have our federal government, and now our federal government, along with other countries, are saying, hey, this is a world global issue, how about you guys run everything? Oh no, that's not really how it went down. The folks at, at the WHO said we should be running everything and uh, uh, countries from all over the world sent representatives to uh, uh, the last major meeting and basically put on the table maybe this is a good move and the World Health Organization should indeed be running everything. All right, so, I mean, that's not a given at this point, but it's on the table. Now, why do we care about this? And, and again, uh, when I go through these things on Prophecy Focus Global Update, and it's like, well, are you coming at these things from a political perspective? Well, I try not to. It's really hard not to. Uh, but I'm really coming at it from the globalist perspective. Again, take your Bibles, let's go to Revelation 13, just as a reminder, and this should be, I mean, these pages should be wrinkled in your Bible. Um, Revelation 13, again, what is in Revelation 13? I mean, everything that we talk about on Wednesday nights during Prophecy Focus Global Update is all spelled out black and white in Revelation 13. So just to set the context, since you've got a couple of new folks uh, tonight here, on 
in Revelation 13, it's basically taking, not basically, it is taking place at the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation period. All right, so if you're not familiar with God's prophetic timeline, we live currently in what's known as the church age. Next major event, talk to me, what's the next major event? Rapture of the church, removal of the church age saints, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. All right, so we go up. Uh, when Jesus comes in the air, not to the earth, but comes in the air and takes us home to be with him. Shortly thereafter, the Antichrist comes on the scene. Daniel 9.27 confirms a covenant or peace treaty with the Jewish people. And for the next seven years, we have the seven-year tribulation period. The first three and a half years, talk to me, are characterized by what for Israel? Peace. Peace. All right. It's a pseudo-peace for the first three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation. Why? Because uh, the Antichrist comes on the scene. He will confirm this covenant, this peace treaty with the Jewish people. Is there a Jewish temple in Israel today? No. no. All right. The, the uh, Muslim uh, Dome of the Rock sits where God's first and second temple stood and the Jewish Orthodox people have been waiting forever, well, not forever, They've been waiting since 70 A.D. to get a third temple built on the Temple Mount. It's not happened yet. Why? And, and again, this is going off track a little bit, but I don't believe God will allow that third temple to be built until me and you as a church is gone. Why? Because where's the temple of the Holy Spirit today? It's us. So when we disappear, when the church is taken up to heaven, then the Antichrist makes that treaty with the Jewish people then somehow the Dome of the Rock is going to disappear and that third Jewish temple will be built. Three and a half years, according to Daniel 9.27, they'll be able to sacrifice at the temple. Everything will be going the best the Jewish people have had since A.D. 70, so nearly 2,000 years. In the middle of that tribulation period, again, just a very quick review, Revelation chapter 12, starting at verse 7, talks about Satan and his demonic army being totally cast out of uh, uh, access to God, and they'll be down here on earth, literally, and that's as far up as they're going to be able to go. They're going to cause havoc on this earth. Satan's going to turn against the Jewish people. Uh, again, we said the worst holocaust of all times will begin at the midpoint of the tribulation. Why does the Antichrist go from loving the Jewish people, at least seeming like he loves them and caring for them and allowing them to have the sacrificial system to all of a sudden turning against the Jews and according to Zechariah 13, 8, killing two-thirds of them. Why? Because Satan's cast out of heaven. He infiltrates the Antichrist and uh, game on. So the worst persecution of all times will take place during that last half of the tribulation. Now, when we go to Revelation 13, everything that's happening here starts does not start until that midpoint of the tribulation when Satan is cast down and all of a sudden this world is in havoc. So let's go to verse 11 once again. I don't want to go through all the beginning part. Okay, so two major things are taking place in Revelation 13 once again. The, uh, the Satan's been cast out of heaven, Revelation 12. He's infiltrated and powered up the Antichrist to give him worldwide power. Then verse 11 is where the things that we're talking about here are going to come to fruition from a prophetic scenario. All right, verse 11 again. Then I saw another beast or the false prophet 
uh, coming up out of he- out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. In other words, he had the authority of Satan. He exercises all the authority of the first beast. The first beast is who? First beast is who? Antichrist. Antichrist. There you go. And his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, who is the? Who is the? Antichrist. All right, first beast whose deadly wound was healed. In other words, we go back to a previous passage that said Antichrist, basically it looked like he was murdered, killed, something happened to him, but all of a sudden in a flash the guy, whatever happens to him, uh, comes literally back to life and the world marvels and worships him and Satan because of this. Verse 13, the false prophet performs great signs so that he makes even fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. He deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast or the Antichrist, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Folks, this is a global-wide situation. This is not Israel. It's not Chicago. It's not just China. It's not just America. It's not just Portugal. It's not just Brazil. This is a worldwide scenario. Now, I've been working feverishly to get a book completed by the end of this month, which will be released at uh, the VCY rally in... um, Waukesha in September, I believe, 16th. And uh, the amount of things like, what in the world uh, is going on right now with uh, artificial intelligence, transhumanism, uh, I mean, the, the technology, and I, I literally, I mean, I'm day and night working on this right now, along with the other things I have to do for church, and uh, it, it's just off the charts crazy what's actually happening. And uh, we'll talk about that more at a different time, but Uh, The technology, uh, the power of artificial intelligence, what is taking place. I mean, I'm not talking, I'm not, what's the word I want? Sensationalizing. I'm not sensationalizing this, folks. This is literally happening happening as we speak, and we'll be bringing things out. And I'll bring a little bit out today, but not much. But it's it's just absolutely off the charts what's taking place. All right, so what does he say here? Uh, Verse 16, he causes all. Uh, and every single person on this earth. That's what he's talking about. He causes all, uh, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has a mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast or the Antichrist, for it is the number of man. His number is 666. All right, so what's the issue here? Every single thing in Revelation 13. The Antichrist comes on the scene. His deadly wound is healed. The entire worship, every single tribe, tongue, and nation, it tells us earlier in in this particular chapter, is going to worship the beast, the Antichrist. There's one group of people that will not worship the Antichrist. Who are they? It's believers, people that will come to Christ during that seven-year tribulation people. They will, uh, period, they will not worship the Antichrist. Verse 15 tells you what happens to them. What happens to them? In all likelihood, they'll be martyred for their faith. Now, according to Matthew 25, there's got to be a group of believers that somehow are able to avoid death and enter into the millennial kingdom. The Bible doesn't describe how that's going to take place, but there has to be a group of 
believers that are somehow protected or somehow, I don't know how it's going to happen. I mean, they go live in Montana and hide under a rock. I don't know. Um, but there'll be some folks that somehow manage to survive and enter into the kingdom, uh, which will come after this seven-year period. But what's the point here? Worldwide global authority. In other words, what's taking place in our country as we speak, what's taking place on an international basis. Not every country is buying into this, by the way, but America is buying in hook, line, and sinker right now. In other words, we're saying, globalists, we're all yours. And that's where it's headed. All right, let's get back to the article. So when, and again, I'm not trying to pick on President Biden or any other, or any of the politicians. <laughs> I'll do it outside of church, but I won't do it in church. Um, the, the issue is this. They are being used, and I strongly believe this, they are being used by Satan to get to this. This has to happen. You can't get away from it. It's prophecy. Every single prophecy always comes to pass exactly as God said. So, again, whether you like what's going on or not, and I'll be straightforward, I don't like what's going on, but on the other hand... It's like if God is going to fulfill the prophetic scenario, this has to happen, whether we like it or not. And, I, and I've, I've often asked the Lord, I'm like, listen, we're getting so close to the things that are talked about in Revelation. It's like, um, how about taking us home now? <laughs> you know, just too many things taking place. All right, uh, a little bit more on this. The initiators of this particular anti-who group came from Poland, Belgium, Austria, Germany, Czech Republic, Portugal, and Bulgaria. They've made it their mission to represent the collective voice of concerned individuals across Europe and to directly address their concerns and advocate for greater trust and freedom within the European Union. The July 4th gathering at the European Parliament featured impassioned speakers by trust and freedom. In other words, especially as we get closer to the 2024 elections, are we going to hear a lot of impassioned speeches here? Oh, yeah. I mean, some you're going to love, some you're not going to love. But they'll be very, very direct. Oh, and again, is this politics? Yes. Am I going to give my outright opinion? I will try not to. But we now have the fourth indictment against uh, former President Trump out of Georgia. Folks, it, it's really difficult not to give an opinion when I was in law enforcement for 32 years and dealing with RICO, R-I-C-O, racketeering charges against lawyers and elected officials because they didn't like the outcome of what they attempted to do and actually did not accomplish. Folks, this is stuff that you take against cartels and against drug dealers and against traffickers. I mean, this is, uh, just to be straightforward, and if you, I know you'll listen to different media sources, I mean, this is un unprecedented, not the president, but unprecedented in what is taking place in our country right now. 
Um, you say, well, what's your opinion? Well, thanks for asking about what's going to happen. There is no way on earth that what the district attorney is attempting to charge the president and the other 18 people with, there is no way on earth that is a legal conclusion. I mean, it, there, it's just not. Now, is there the chance that this could actually go through and the prosecution actually take place and there actually be a conviction? Yeah, because when things go according to a particular political position, anything can happen, whether it's right or wrong. Now, what I'm trusting is, is if this happens to go in that direction, that the Supreme Court will actually do what they're paid to do and not put their political bias in it and actually go to the rule of law, realizing that the law does not allow for what just took place. So whether you, again, whether you like the president or not, when they, when they talk and use the rhetoric of weaponizing the legal system, folks, the legal system has been weaponized. There is no absolute, I mean, you just can't get away from it. I've got uh, one person in the room, I won't point him out, but he just said, you're absolutely right. He happens to be in charge of all the judges in a particular county. Um, I mean, you can't not, if you know the law, it's like this is just absolutely bonkers what's taking place. Say what? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Again, I'm trying not to get any more political than I have to, but here's my point. My point is all of these things are taking place. Why? I I, I mean, we don't like it. I I mean, let's be honest. The room is filled with conservative people right now. Now, maybe someone in here, you're, you're not quite as conservative as others, but for the most part, you probably aren't in a Bible-believing church if you aren't at least somewhat leaning towards the conservative biblical model. The conservative biblical model says what we're seeing today is going to lead to this tomorrow. It absolutely has to. So even though it's hard to stomach, even though we're seeing things that are by some accounts and some opinions unconstitutional and just dead right wrong, am I surprised by it? Uh Uh-uh, not at all. Uh, uh, Simply because this is exactly what's expected to happen. All right, so I got a little off kilter there, but we get back to the World Health Organization Why is it a big deal? Why are governments flocking to this group? Why are they all getting on camera? Yeah, we're supporting the World Health Organization. Because that's exactly what God said will take place in the end times. And it's happening exactly as God said. All right, I'm going to leave that one alone. By the way, what's very interesting here, the European Union... And I, I haven't done this in a while. I, I, I should have put a slide up of this when we were talking about it. When you look at the old Roman Empire, not Rome as it sits today, a little tiny piece in Italy. When you look at the, here's, here's Rome on a map. Here's the Roman Empire back during the first century. The Roman Empire, if you have a map of the European Union, And the Roman Empire, they're pretty, pretty close. What's very interesting is, all of a sudden, the European Union is rebelling against the globalist picture. 
which is very interesting because uh, many a prophecy teacher is saying, you know, the Antichrist, according to Daniel 9.26, will come from the people who destroy the second temple. Who destroyed the second temple? What people group? The Romans. So, and then it talks about 10 confederate nations. Actually, in Romans 13, or Revelation 13, it talks about the 10. These 10 confederate nations are going to align with the Antichrist. So it's very interesting, and, and it's, it's almost a little confusing from a prophetic standpoint. If indeed the Bible's true, which I believe it is, Daniel 9.26 says the Antichrist is going to be coming from somewhere probably within the vicinity of that Euro- European Union, which represents the old Roman Empire in size based on Daniel 9.26. So I'm very interested, and if the Lord tarries, to see how that pans out. Interesting. All right, here's the article I went to Sunday night. I thought I had found the best thing since sliced cheese. I got so excited Sunday night. I'm like, wow, how often do you get, uh, uh, if you will, the antagonist side that's saying exactly what we want them to say? So, uh, again... I've got to be honest, which I wish all the media would be, even those that are on our side would be honest, and state things the way they actually happen. All right, so the the article that uh, came out July 29th, 2023, is looking back at a video from 2020, three years ago, that states that this young lady, who happens to be Klaus Schwab's daughter, made basic statements regarding climate lockdown that uh, is predicted to take place. So the, the article, again, is Klaus Schwab's daughter, COVID was precursor to coming climate lockdowns. Well, that's, a, I mean, that's front news headlines in, in a, a prophecy conference. That's great. But as you'll see, as I put in red, that appears to be a suspect claim, and I'll tell you why. So I went to the article which I had read, but I did not do where it says right down here, there's a hyperlink to the unearthed video where she allegedly says these things. Well, being the nice little investigator, I click on the video and listen to the 50-second spot, 50 seconds. In that 50 seconds, the word COVID is not mentioned. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. And all of a sudden, I begin to sweat a little bit. It's like, oh, boy, we got a problem here. Uh, She did talk about several things, but not once did she talk about COVID. So the daughter of World Economic Forum, WAF founder, Klaus Schwab, has declared, this is the, this article, declared that tyrannical restrictions during the COVID pandemic served as a precursor to coming, quote-unquote, climate lockdowns. According to Nicole Schwab, COVID was a tremendous opportunity to test how the public would comply with authoritarian measures that could be used to usher in the WEF's Great Reset Agenda. Now, if you had the article sitting in front of you, out of all that I read, four words, two words were put in quotes, next paragraph, two words were put in quotes, everything else was what the media Uh, uh, the slave folks decided to add to it. In other words, 
this is like uh, um, you state something to your husband or your wife or your kids and you gave them uh, 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 two paragraphs of information but they heard two words that they didn't like and those are the only ones they remember and they hold it against you even though contextually it had nothing to do with what you said. That's what happened here and it's unfortunate and I, I it's like this is a conservative outlet that basically now is trash in my book. Don't, don't, don't give me garbage news media whether you're conservative or liberal. So here's what he says, the WEF's or the World Economic Forum's promotion of the climate crisis narrative seeks to create a change that is not incremental to position nature at the core of the economy. That she did say, but had nothing to do with COVID in the, at least the 50 seconds that they put on this video. Nicole Schwab made a comments in a newly unearthed video that was recorded during a WEF panel discussion in 2020. Again, I've read now all of this and six words were in quote total. She did say those six words that are in quotes, but nothing else in context. So we have to be honest too. Can I hear God's people say amen? All right. The WEF World Economic Forum lists Nicole Schwab as a member of the executive committee of the globalist organization, who is also the co-director of Platform to Accelerate Nature-Based Solutions. The panel discussion was filed in Switzerland in 2020. Now, listen to this, which, again, so this, in brackets, COVID. Now, when you put stuff in brackets, that means it wasn't in the original text. This COVID crisis, or technically this crisis, has shown us that, first of all, things can shift very rapidly when we put our minds to it, and when we feel the immediate emergency to our livelihoods. And second, that clearly the system, I mean, you mentioned it early, earlier, that we had before is not sustainable. Well, what's the context of the statement? Don't know. In quotes, so I see it as a tremendous opportunity to really have this great reset and to use this huge flow of money dash to use the increased levers that policymakers have today dash in a way that was not possible before to create a change that is not incremental but that we can look back and we can say this is the moment when we really started to position nature at the core of the economy all right let me try and pull that together because it's a little bifurcated what nicole schwab is saying and and nothing here is speaking about covid is that does Klaus Schwab want what's known as the Great Economic Reset? Yes. yes, absolutely. Are they massively concerned about climate change? No. Uh, yeah. They, remember now, we're talking about the World Economic Forum now. They are massively concerned about climate change. We may not be, but they are. It's huge for them. So what Nicole is basically saying is, listen, we've got to save our world. Our world's going to burn up, you know, global change, everything's going garbage. We got to fix the, fix the uh, fossil fuel issue. We got to fix the, uh, uh, the ceiling that is basically being ripped apart, and uh, we're all going to burn up. I mean, they, I, I, and I do believe they, they honestly believe that. Of course, from Scripture, we know that God will indeed burn the world up, but it's not until after a minimum of 1,007 years from now, according to Peter, uh, when God will destroy this earth by fire, but that's not coming in the next 10 years as some of the politicians state. 
All right. So uh, number one, I wanted to make a retraction based on my excitement last Sunday night after doing the research. However, however, I did go to the World Economic Forum site, and they do have an article in there. And here's the article. It's written by Kunal Kumar, K-U-N-A-L-K-U-M-A-R. It's under the World Economic Forum. Whoops, I'm going to switch sides here. Um, I thought I, whoops, here it is. Okay. So let's read this from the World Economic Forum, again, written by Kunal Kumar, who is the mission director, Smart Cities Mission, Ministry of Housing and Urban Affairs of India. And by the way, on, and I just because we got to be honest, the World Economic Forum made it very clear that any article is not necessarily their opinion. Nice disclaimer. Don't agree with, I mean, I may not be buying it, but that's what they state. All right, COVID-19 was the test of social responsibility. That's in this article from the World Economic Forum, even though they deny they agree with what they have on their website. A huge number of unimaginable restrictions for public health were adopted by billions of citizens across the world. Is that a true statement? Absolutely. There were numerous examples globally of maintaining social distancing, wearing masks, mass vaccinations, and acceptance of contact tracing applications for public health, which demonstrated the core of individual how do they describe it? Social responsibility. All right? Now, again, you may have a, a... I'm not trying to get into your personal opinion about everything involved with COVID. Here's the prophetic scenario, though. Social responsibility means that you practice social distancing, wearing masks, mass vaccination, and acceptance of contact tracing applications for public health. That is their definition of social responsibility. Now, I know if I took a poll right now and had a private ballot, how many of you would say, oh, yeah, I absolutely agree. That's a wonderful definition. Uh, that would be a small percentage of folks in this room. Uh, um, in fact, well, I don't want to go there. So he's saying my carbon is an approach for inclusive and sustainable cities. So what the World Economic Forum is looking at doing on a global scale, what are they looking at doing? Instituting what they call my carbon, which is basically how to reduce uh, uh, the fossil fuel issue, the pollution issue, the climate change issue, how to reverse all their things, at least from their perspective. All right, so what do we get from all of this? From a global perspective, is there a global perspective today? Is, I mean, are, are, is the globalist agenda becoming more out there, if you will, more public. I mean, absolutely. And, and the issue is our country, the world, is headed towards certain subjects 
whereby it appears the majority of all countries are buying into it. Now, let me ask you a question. Is America in agreement militarily with every country in the world? Uh Uh-uh. How how are we faring with Russia right now? How are we faring with China right now? Yeah, their Navy's bigger than ours, true. Now, outside of the political monkey business and millions of dollars being transferred, we're still not in good political state with them. How about Iran? How are we doing with Iran? Not so good. How's Israel doing with Iran, China, Russia, Syria? Uh, Not so good. So what's the point? The point is, militarily, there's still a ton of disagreement. In fact, Matthew chapter 24, one of the first signs Jesus said would take place during the tribulation is there would be wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So the bottom line is we're not looking at having a kumbaya with all the countries when it comes to military might. However, isn't it amazing that the globalists are able to get everybody into the same room and pretty much on the same page when it comes to climate change. How's Antichrist going to get everybody in the same room? you got to have something that rings true with everybody. The globalist picture loves climate change, global warming, however you want to define it. Global warming kind of is, they're, they're not... That one's kind of gotten too much pushback, so it's like it's a lot easier. We'll just go with climate change because we can't prove that uh, uh, the actual temperatures are going to burn everybody up, so let's go with climate change. That one's more palatable. How about the next pandemic? Will there be another one? In all likelihood, yes. During the tribulation period, it talks about pestilence. Two different passages, and I know I'm going on a little bit here, but Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 says, one-fourth of the earth's population will pass. That's 2 billion out of 8 billion people. In Revelation chapter 9, verse 6, or uh, 18, Revelation 9, 18, one-third of the world's population of the current 8 billion people will die. Well, wait a minute, if you have... One-fourth is gone and one-third is gone. That means 50% of the earth's population or 4 billion people will die in those first part of the tribulation period. That's a lot of people, wouldn't you agree? Um, Well, let's go to one last thing here, and then we'll get into Acts chapter 21. Reuters fact check, August 2nd. PM updated 13 days ago. Fact check. Daughter of WEF, a World Economic Forum leader, did not call for permanent climate lockdowns in 2020 clip. And after listening at least to whatever small clip they gave me, or gave us, whoever looked at it, they're right. If you go on the internet right now, don't do it now, do it after we're done. (laughs) If you go on there and you Google this issue about Nicole Schwab, I mean, and I was going to take a snapshot out of it, but I mean there's article after article after article after article after article saying, you guys are liars. And the video's there to prove they 
seemingly misrepresented the truth. All right? So again, what's the point? Yes, the globalists are massively going at it. And yes, conservatives need to tell the truth. Uh, If we don't tell the truth, who's going to, right? Uh, So we need to be very, very careful. So uh, that particular news organization, if you see it come up, consider it highly suspect. Um, And we'll leave it at that. All right, if you didn't get a handout, I see Larry's back there. Uh, Anybody need a handout for our X class, which we'll do next? Raise those hands up. Evangelistically speaking, I don't see it. Anybody need one? Seriously? All right, some folks in the back are getting them. All these folks up here apparently are good to go. All right, now we're not, uh, just so you know, and especially those that may be here for the first time or not been here in a long time, uh, I do not use the handout that's there for your reading, helps you understand a little bit, but uh, I will be going specifically to the text and going through that. All right, so let's go to the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 21. So we're going to finish up, or well, I can't guarantee we'll finish up. I go until uh, we uh, basically are out of time, and I stop wherever that is. Uh, And I do have a lot of material for this particular section. Uh, Acts chapter 21 is where we're going to be. We're going to start at verse 15 tonight. We got through the first 14 verses last week. Again, if you're interested in seeing, I I think we're, wow, I'm not even sure what number this is, but we're probably close to 40 lessons into Acts. Uh, They're all on our YouTube uh, channel. They're all on sermonaudio.com under Union Grove Baptist Church. Uh, They're all on our website at myugbc.com. So they're everywhere. Uh, Acts chapter 21, verse 15. And after those days, Paul says, we packed and went up to Jerusalem. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. Father, I pray now that as we transition into studying the precious Word of God. Lord, I pray that you'd uh, bless our time together uh, as we look at the horrible, tough things that Paul had to go through, but yet he rejoiced in every single situation for the cause of Christ. Father, I pray that we might be encouraged, that we might uh, learn tonight uh, from the things that uh, Paul went through and uh, on his missionary journeys And Lord, I pray that you just excite us and motivate us, encourage us by what he did so that as we go back out into the battlefield in about an hour, that Lord, we be a little bit charged up, a little bit prepared uh, as we seek to serve you the rest of this week. So Father, bless our time together. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, the first 14 verses of Acts, basically Paul is saying uh, uh, multiple times, I need to go to Jerusalem. And if you recall, if you were here last week, basically the punchline to all this was the disciples, his friends were saying, listen, the Holy Spirit spoke to us, which he did. And the Holy Spirit said, you're going to be in huge trouble when you get to Jerusalem. Paul, don't go. And they kept trying to, and and by the way, the Holy Spirit never, ever told them to to tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem. In fact, quite the opposite. 
but these, his friends, the guys that cared about him, they're like, listen, Paul, you can't do this. Now, you think about this. How many parents whose children are looking to go into, mili- into the military during a major war are saying, yeah, you go. I mean, they might be thankful that they're going. They may be thankful that they're willing to serve their country and put the uniform on. But do you think there may be a little reservation there about their child coming back home? And the answer is, of course. Now, back in the day, during its, and of course, I'm a little more familiar. My dad was part of the Second World War. Some of you were part of, uh, well, no, I'm not so sure anybody in the room was, but uh, many of you were in the military and so forth. And and it was an honor, and you wanted to serve the country. But uh, uh, when you went, did mom and dad, were they concerned? Of course they were. Were your loved ones concerned? Of course they were. Were uh, your boyfriends or girlfriends, were they concerned? Of course they were. And and they're like, are you sure you want to do this? Uh, Are you sure you want to go? And and maybe you want to rethink this before you do it. And and they're like, no, no, I'm going to go. I believe it's the right thing to do. And uh, they put the uniform on and, and went to war. And, of course, some made it home, some did not. And that was Paul's attitude. He said, listen, guys, I know you love me. I know you care about me, but I serve an audience of one. An audience of one. I'm not doing this because you think I should or shouldn't. I'm doing this because I believe it's what God wants me to do. I serve an audience of one. So Paul says, listen, we packed up, we we headed up, and we did go to Jerusalem. So on the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. When he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. All right, so he's coming back to Jerusalem, which is mainly made up of what ethnic group? Jewish people, all right? I mean, there weren't a whole lot of Gentiles hanging around Jerusalem back in the day. And uh, not like now where there's probably just as many Christians as Jews that are there on a daily basis, uh, the touring. And, uh, uh, but he comes back, and James, the head of the church at, at Jerusalem, and he talks to the elders, in other words, those that had leadership within the church, and, and they were present. He said, listen, I got I to gotta tell you, my Jewish buddies, God did some unbelievable things, some unbelievable miracles uh, among the Gentiles. Many of them came to Christ based on the ministry. I mean, it was just phenomenal. And, and Paul was happy, and he gave a report. Coming up on September 17th, we have a missions conference right here. Uh, first one we've had since uh, I've been pastor here. And uh, we got three individuals coming. Uh, Aaron Broughton, from, uh, uh, who's involved with Jewish missions, uh, our own Dean Zemke, who's part of uh, mission work in Japan, he'll be here. And then uh, uh, another uh, individual, Rachel Doak, will be here uh, from India. Now, what are they going to do when they get here? Well, they'll do two things. One is they'll, uh, uh, Rachel won't preach, but she'll give her testimony of what's taken place. The other two guys will preach. What else will they do? Well, they're going to tell us what they've been doing for the last X amount of years. They're going to give a report. Well, here's what's happened, and and here's what we've accomplished, and and here's what the Lord's doing in our particular place. And that's exactly what Paul was doing. He'd just been out going all around uh, 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 Asia Minor, going into 
Greece, going down to Corinth, all these different places, going to some of the Mediterranean islands, and he's all pumped up, and he's like, hey, here's what God's been doing. So he shared the ministry with him. Same thing we'll do here in a few weeks. Verse 20, and when they heard it, what did they do? They glorified the Lord, and they said to him, you see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you, Paul, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. Oh, boy. Conference started out great. Here's what God's been doing. And all of a sudden, his own people said, Check that at the door, Paul. We hear you're a heretic. What? Well, here's what we've been hearing about you, Paul. You're teaching the Jewish people that are hanging out with the Gentiles in these various places to forsake the law. Uh, We don't think that's a very good idea, Paul. Now, first of all, there's no place in Scripture where... Paul makes the statement not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. Never stated. However, Paul is dealing with two people groups during the first century. Did he deal with the Jewish people? Absolutely. Did he deal with Gentile people? Were the Gentiles following the law during the days of Paul? No. No. I mean, there are a few, gent- we've, we've read about it in Acts, uh, earlier Acts, that there were some, a very, very small percentage of Gentiles who converted to Judaism, and they did attempt to follow the law of Moses. That did happen, but they're basically taking a 30,000-foot picture and saying, Paul, why are you telling everybody not to follow the law? Well, they kind of got their facts a little bit goofed up, kind of like we just saw in the media in 2023 with the articles I shared with you. It's like they didn't give 100% of the facts. Let's see how this plays out. Verse 22. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. In other words, you heretic, Paul, we need to get the council together, we need to get the leadership together, and we need to deal with this. Therefore, do what we tell you. Uh, That's always a nice way to talk to somebody, isn't it? Listen, buddy, you better do what we tell you. I mean, they're coming down on him. Uh, They're like, okay, Paul, I'm going to give you a chance to redeem yourself. Now, you're a Jew, right, Paul? Well, of course I'm a Jew. And uh, you still want to do what's right as a Jewish individual, don't you? Well, of course I do. Okay, Paul, well, here's here's what you're going to do to redeem yourself. We have four men who have taken a vow. Okay. Here's what we want you to do, Paul. Take them and be purified with them, basically according to the Mosaic law. Pay their expenses, their expenses being the cost of the sacrifices, so that they may shave their heads. By the way, that's an important concept we're going to get to. And that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you 
basically are nothing. It's nothing but a pack of lies, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. What law? The Mosaic law. All right, now this, this is where it's going to get a little bit tricky. We are smack dab at the beginning of the transitional period in the book of Acts. Paul is dealing with Jewish people that he is trying to get to understand the gospel of the grace of God. On the other side are Gentile individuals who could care less about the Mosaic law, never followed it, don't know probably a whole lot about it, and these individuals, the law is not an issue. They're simply listening to Paul trying to determine if Jesus Christ is truly the Messiah. Well, Paul's got a little issue here during this transitional period. Does he overnight say, okay, let's get all the Jewish guys in the room, pack them in, and all the Jewish guys show up? He's like, okay, guys, uh, as of right now, the law is done. We're not going to follow it anymore. Uh, we're not going to follow anything in the Mosaic Law. I want you to take off your kippas and your yarmulkes and take your phylacteries off and take your prayer shawls off and take all these. Well, we're done with that. Okay. Uh, uh, y'all good with that, guys? Y'all? Okay. Uh, no. It's not how it went down. When you go through the book of Acts, and uh, I should have put the slides up, but I didn't put them in this time. When you go through the book of Acts, when you go from chapter 1 to chapter 9, and you carefully read it, you're going to find that absolutely nothing is even spoken about the Gentiles until you get to chapter 9. They're dealing with the Jewish people. They're dealing with proselytes. That's as close as you get to Jewish individuals, Jews or Gentiles that, if you will, proselytize to Judaism. And they're slowly, slowly, slowly doing the transition. Let me see. Ah, you shall, you shall go to several places. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. First place Jesus said, I want you to go is where? Jerusalem. If you want to cheat, look at Acts 1, 8. <laughs> First, I want you guys to go to Jerusalem. Why? Who's living in Jerusalem? the Jews. Then I want you to start branching out into Judea. You say, well, wait a minute. Where's Judea at? Jerusalem is a city in the region of Judea. And it's small. I mean, if you go to Israel, if you look on a map, it's not a whole lot of people, especially back in the first century. And then he said, listen, after you start spreading the gospel, get it to Jerusalem, get it to the Judea, all Jewish individuals, get them the gospel. Don't scream and yell at them about the law and all those things. We want them to understand, though, that Jesus paid the entire penalty. He's done it all. And to start moving them towards Christ. Then he said after Judea, I want you to go up to the next region, the second region of Israel, which is where? Samaria. And then he says, all right, if you get that going, then I want you to go to the uttermost parts of the world. In other words, it's time to get everybody. What you see is Paul is going to cater to the Jewish people 
and slowly bring about a transition. Folks, if you come into a group of people or an organization and the leader walks in and says, all right, let's get everybody in the company, put them in the same room. And the company leader says, now you know the way the last president ran things here? Boy, didn't mean to go to that word. You know the way the last president ran the wor- ran the, the organization? Forget every single thing you said. This is the way it's going to be today. Here's your new handbook. Here's our new policies. Here's your new pay schedule. Here's the new insurance policy. This is the way it is today. In our culture, unless it was really, really good, how many people do you think will be there tomorrow? It depends on, like, if the, if the raises were great, maybe. If it changed and they don't like the leadership, they're gone. Well, folks, it's the same thing that Paul faced. It's, and not just Paul, the entire group of disciples and apostles, they're working with the Jewish people, trying to get them to come to Christ. So they're like, listen, Paul, and, and, and this is important because we're going to see that Paul complies here. Most of you know the passage. Paul actually complies with what they're asking them to do. They're like, listen, Paul, uh, you're a Jew. Yes, we have four guys that have taken a, what we'll see to be is the Nazarite vow. And we're going to ask you to invest in the lives of these Jewish individuals like you're actually a card-carrying Jew, Paul. Can you do that? Well, Paul says, yes, by the way, We'll get into the text in a minute. Who is the most favorite? Favorite, wrong word. Who is the most notable? There we go. Who's the most notable person who took a Nazarite vow in the Old Testament? Samson. Samson. I always hear, okay, this is way off track. So I always spelled... Samson's name wrong because there was a gorilla at the zoo <laughs> named Samson, S-A-M-P-S-O-N. And somehow it got into my little cranium that Samson was Samson. And I always spelled it wrong. And I finally, I'm, I'm reading the text, I don't know whenever it was, and it finally dawned on me, Wow, it, there's no P in Samson. All right, that was free. And it was worth nothing. Yeah, it was worth nothing. All right. <laughs> all right, so the bottom line here is they're saying, all right, Paul, you got to do this. All right, let's go to Numbers chapter 6. We're going to go through several things here. So um, we don't spend a whole lot of time in the Old Testament, so we'll do it on a Wednesday night. Why not? Numbers chapter 6, talking about the Nazarite bow which Samson took. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When either a man or woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. All right, so, uh, I mean, back in the day, this was a big deal. If you're going to make this consecrated vow to God. 
These individuals said, listen, I want to serve God with all my heart. I love the Lord. I want to serve him. I want to take this vow to show my uh, a consecration to the Lord, and I'm willing to take some things that uh, uh, are pleasurable and wonderful and cease doing this because I want to be consecrated to my God. Verse 4, all the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from seed to skin. All the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head. Remember when uh, uh, we were back in Acts and he said, well, I can go after they pay their uh, uh, price, if you will, after they do the sacrifices, what can they do with their hair? They finally cut it. By the way, hmm, sneaky little Samson with uh, his wonderful little wifey-poo, or lady friend, yeah, little Delilah, and... uh, you know, she kept getting on Sam, uh, son. <laughs> hey, big boy, how come you're so strong? What's the secret of your strength? So he keeps lying to her about where he gets his strength from. And then unfortunately, he did make the fatal mistake after she riddled the fire out of him. And he tells her where the strength was. And what did he tell her? Cut off what? Cut my hair off. I'll be just like any other man. Well, that was the truth, and she did. And, of course, was a tragic ending for Mr. Samson. So the bottom line is the Nazarite had nice, long, flowing locks. Maybe I should do that. Anyway, <laughs> what's so funny? Anyway, uh, all the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. Holy means separate, set apart. Then he shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. In other words, shave it off, then he can grow it again. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. One other requirement, verse 7. He shall not make himself unclean even for his father or his mother, for his brother or his sister when they die. In other words, if you were under, uh, uh, you'd taken the Nazarite vow and you wanted to stay consecrated, you didn't go to the funeral. You just didn't. I mean, that's how strict this was. When they die, because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separated separation he shall be holy or set apart to God or the Lord. If anyone dies very suddenly beside him and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day he shall shave it. Then on the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. By the way, uh, uh, one of the things, remember when Jesus went to the temple? He walks in, and uh, what were all over the temple? People doing what? Money changers, people selling animals for sacrifices. So did sacrifice, I mean, did they cost money? Well, of course they did. Now, even if they raised them in their, I mean, potentially some people uh, uh, were able to provide their own sacrifices, but still, it's the same thing like, okay, I would never do this. So you're driving down 11 or 20, and you're going by a cornfield. And you're like, wow, that's like good six, seven feet stocks. That corn's got to be ready to eat, and I'm hungry. I'd love to have some corn tonight. And instead of driving up a couple more blocks and going to the corn stand and buying your 12 ears for six bucks, which I did last week, and uh, it was good. And uh, 
you say, man, I, why should I pay for it? Look at all that corn they got here. So you go out in the field, it's kind of dark out, you're checking around, you grab a, a couple of years of corn, you take it home. Did that cost that farmer money? Uh, sure it did, right? Uh, it's, it's stealing from them. And uh, a lot of people do that, unfortunately, but it's not the right thing to do. But anyway, uh, everything we eat, everything you get, somebody's paying for it somehow. All right, the pre-show offer, one is a sin offering and the other is a burnt offering and make atonement for him. How many of you feel bad now because you stole corn? Don't raise your hands. Anyway, because he sinned in regards to the corp and he shall, a corpse and he shall sanctify his head that same day. Now, is, is this tedious? I mean, is it, uh, we ask folks, do you, do you want to live under the law? I, I, you get, I mean, good night. I mean, the only good thing out of this is a guy avoided a haircut for a long time. I mean, everything else was kind of tedious and rough. Why? Because he said, I want to be holy. I want to be separated unto God. And that was the point of this. Uh, uh, so he shall consecrate to the Lord the days of his separation or holiness and bring a male lamb in its first year as a trespass offering. Does that lamb cost money? Yes. Of course it does. And when uh, 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 the, the, the religious leader said to Paul, listen, you take these four guys, you go through the cleansing process, and then you pay the cost of the sacrifices. That, and, and maybe we can accept you back into our little fold here. And Paul said, all right, I'll, I'll, I will do that. And we're going to find out why in a moment. Verse 13, now this is the law of the Nazarite, when the days of his separation are fulfilled. In other words, Paul, uh, these gentlemen, these four men, they've come to the end of their vow, and they're ready to, if you will, get back into normal uh, practice and, and be done with their vow, he shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, in this case to the temple, and he shall present his offering to the Lord, one male lamb in its first year without blemish, as a burnt offering, one ewe lamb in its first year without blemish, as a sin offering, one ram without blemish as a peace offering. Is this getting expensive? I mean, yeah. And, and it's like, this is serious stuff. It's like, there's an investment here. There's a, a consecration here. There's a separation here that the Jewish men would go through if they were going to consecrate themselves to the Lord in this Nazarite vow. What else did he say? Get a basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and their grain offering with their drink offerings. Then the priest shall bring them before the Lord and offer a sin offering and burnt offering. And he shall offer the ram as a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord with a basket of unleavened bread. The priest shall also offer its grain offering and its drink offering. Is there any doubt that there were over 613 commandments in the Old Testament? I mean, look how many there are in this one little vow. I, 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 it's ad infinitum. And by the way, God wanted it that way. Why? Because he, and some of you right now may be saying, I mean, uh, we don't go through this type of thing very often. But it's like, are you kidding me? This is a lot of stuff. I was, uh, she's down in the youth group right now. I was in my daughter's uh, looking at some of the things that she does on uh, technology-wise, and I, was, I wanted to learn a few of the things just so I have a little bit of a background in them. I sat there for about 40 minutes going through like four different major things that we do with the Internet, 
with ShermanAudio.com, with Spotify, with uh, a, a service called Otter, with our website. Folks, I was, I was the, I, I don't, I, I don't want to say this because I don't want you to make me do computer work, but I was the IT director for the sheriff's office during Y2K. In other words, remember when all the computers and the networks had to be transferred over in the year 2000 because they thought everything was going to quit? I was in charge of the transfer of computers and networks during the year 2000. So I might have just a hair background in, in some of the computer stuff. I've learned program after program after program, a few here, but most all of it back when I was with the sheriff's office. And some of you do that, and some of you are very aware of software that is extremely tedious and has box after box after box. Well, after about 30 minutes of sitting with her and going through some things, just so I could learn a little bit of the background on some things, I had it. I mean, I was like, seriously, this is going on every week? This is, I mean, just to get something up on sermon audio is like 52 different clicks and whatever. It's like, wow. I actually thought she might be sloughing off in the office. Well, I don't think that anymore. <laughs> They're like, whoa. I mean, this is some serious stuff. How would you like to go through this every day of your life? I mean, rule after rule after rule, 600-plus rules that you needed to know. Tough. Anyway, let's move on. Verse 19, the priest shall take the book. I'm not going to go on. I'm going to skip that. Uh, verse 21, this is the law of the Nazarite who vows to the Lord the offering for a separation. Besides that, whoever else his hand is able to provide according to the law which he takes, so he must do according to the law of his separation. Uh, Paul, we got four guys here. You know the drill. Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 to 21. Get busy, take care of the guys, pay their bills, and we'll let you back into our little fold. And Paul says, I'm on it. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, here's the balance. Paul said, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. First century Judaism, individuals that are absolutely dead set on following the law of Moses, and now Paul has to get through to these people all right, I get it. You did this all your life. But now I'm telling you, you've got to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ in order to get to heaven. How am I going to get their attention? Well, he said unto the Jews, I became as a what? He didn't get up there and say, all right, guys, uh, here's my, you see my card-carrying Jew card right here? No more. I'm done with this. Is that what he said? No. no. Paul said, listen, I've got to adapt to the culture. Oh, let's talk missions for a minute. If you go to India and act like an American, how do you think you're going to go over? <laughs> you got a problem. Now, if you've never done international travel, you've never been in a different culture, you may not understand. Believe it or not, Western culture is different than a whole lot of other places. You ever cross your leg with your foot up in the wrong culture? That's a horrible insult. It's terrible. I mean, it's like spitting at somebody, literally. I mean, it, you just don't do it. 
Uh, and I mean, there's a million different things like that culturally. And Paul says, listen, I know the culture of the Jewish people. And he said, in order to help the Jewish people come to Christ, if I need to do and keep doing the things as a Jewish individual in the first century during this transitional period, I'm going to do them. So he says, and to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, who would that be? Still the Jewish people. As under the law, Paul said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bang. Uh, uh, I scared myself. And uh, he said that the, the Jewish people that are under the law, he said, that's fine. For this time period, for such time as this, that's what I got to do in order to get the gospel to them. That I might win those who are under the law. Verse 21. To those who are without law, who would that be? Well, those are the guys that lock up in prison. They're without law, or they're outlaws. Sorry. Uh, I'm happy tonight. I don't know why. Anyway, uh, uh, he, he says, to those who are without the law, in other words, Gentile individuals, as without law. I don't tell these Gentiles over here, listen, have you been following the Mosaic law? They could care less about that. And Paul says, fine. We don't need the Mosaic law for the Gentiles. Uh, so we don't make them follow the law. Uh, by the way, did Christ fulfill the law? Yes. Of course he did. Verse 21, to those who are without laws, without law, not being without law toward God, but under the law toward Christ. So we're not talking about the Mosaic law. We're now talking about, if you will, those who have committed their lives to Christ and wish to follow him, that I might win those who are without law. So what's Paul saying? You go to wherever you are in this country. When you go, here, here's kind of the old-fashioned culture. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's right. Okay, take a look at the way I'm dressed tonight. You're like, weird. <laughs> Black shirt with what kind of looks like, I don't know, maybe a racing stripe up here. I do like checkered flags. Say what? Going bowling. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't go bowling. Anyway. No, I got nothing against bowling. I just stink at it, so I don't do it. Um, balls are too heavy for me now. Anyway, um, take a look at the way I'm dressed tonight. 20, 25 years ago, if I'd have walked into a church dressed like this, whoo, be the last time I walked in and at least to stand in front of you, I mean... Pagan, get out of here, dude. You don't even know how to dress right. So, by the way, I don't see anybody else in suit and tie, so don't criticize me. No, anyway. <laughs> but that's the point. If you go into a particular culture, and I came up here tonight dressed in a suit and tie, shiny shoes, and everybody else is not even close to being dressed that way, is that culturally the right thing to do? And some, and, and there are churches that would say, well, of course it is. You, you mean you always should have a suit and a tie on. And I say, well, I respectfully, not going to do it. <laughs> um, Sunday morning, we have a mixture. I do wear a suit and, or at least a sport coat and tie and collared shirt. Uh, Ties and t-shirts don't go well, so I do wear a collared shirt. And uh, 
I mean, that's what I do. Do you know, do you, do you know I do that on Sunday morning? Here's the reason why. Many folks that come, they visit folks watching on the Internet. Culturally, that's what they expect. So I do it. On Sunday night, do I wear a tie? Uh-uh, I don't. And you're like, well, why do you not wear a tie on Sunday night? And you do on Sunday morning. It's adapting to the culture of the time. Now, I could easily, in our culture today, say, listen, guys, I'm done wearing ties on Sunday morning. And I may get to that point someday. But I don't think we're quite... And it's like, you're like, you mean you spend that much time thinking about putting a silly tie on? I do. You know why? Because everything I do from up here, if I'm offending someone, then I've failed as an individual. So I want to be very, very cautious, very, very careful, even something as silly as should I put a tie on today. And uh, 90% of our guys don't wear them here. And that's I could care less about that. I mean, I sincerely mean that. Uh, I just don't care. But Paul said, listen, if somebody walks through those doors on a Sunday morning and they come from a strong denominational church where they always wore a suit and tie and they walk in here and the pastor's kind of dressed down a little bit, could that potentially offend them? Yeah, it could. And I'm like, I would rather wear... Ladies, are guys usually hotter or colder than you? The guys are always hot. How come we're the ones that have to wear the suit coats? I mean, I was culturally, why in the world did we come up with that? It's like the ladies should have the suit coats on, not the guys. Uh, in fact, half the time, I know I'm getting way off track, but it's, we got to folks you a little bit. Half the time when, and of course, Valerie and I never hardly get to sit together unless it's at an event. What's the first thing she asked me to do if I got a suit coat on? Can I wear your suit coat? I'm like, please, take it. I'm too hot. And, uh, but, but culture. Well, that's my point. When you go to Japan, you better act like the Japanese do if you want to win them to Christ. If, if you're going to Africa, you better dress, act, understand their culture. If you're going to be in Union Grove, Wisconsin, don't constantly talk about uh, things that have nothing to do with the culture that's surrounding us here. And that's exactly what Paul's saying. So what's the point here? Here's the practical application. And I know I've gone on taking a long time to land a plane here. Wherever you work. And that's what I want. I wanted people to be happy tonight. Well, wherever you work, wherever you go to school, wherever you see people on the street corner, when you go to the corn stand to pay for your corn, culturally, what's it going to take to get them to start a relationship. Last year, I mean, I, I don't. Even, has anybody been down to uh, by the across from the BP on twenty? Still all torn. Is that corn stand running down there? Anybody know? Yeah. It's open. Okay, so I need to go down there later. The lady that ran that every single Sunday or Wednesday night, I'd stop there and buy corn, and the same lady was there a lot of the time. So I had folksy with her. I gave her one of my books, whatever, and uh, uh, I mean, you know, you just folksy with folks. 
Do you understand? And I think you do because the church keeps growing. The way to reach people is you do what? You start a relationship with them. And Paul said to the Jews, put on my yarmulke, put on my phylacteries, go, go shave my head after we take a Nazarite or we cleanse ourselves from a Nazarite vow. To these folks over here, he's like, listen, don't worry about the law. Don't worry about all those things. Don't worry about what those guys are over there doing because here's what you need to know. Do you understand that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for your sins? Do you understand that? Who's Jesus? Well, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Let me tell you that because me and you have sinned, my dear Jewish friends, my dear Gentile friends, that Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, loves us so much that he comes down, gives his life on a cross, is buried, and three days later rose from the dead. Is that in the law of Moses? Well, absolutely it's there. Let me take you to Isaiah chapter 53 and tell you what the prophet said about him. Let me take you to other passages and, and, and talk, that talk about the coming one who would give his life. Let me take you to Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, that talks about the Messiah to come. Let me take you to, to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, that talks about the son that will be given, who will one day rule with a rod of iron. Let me tell you about him. He's the one that just came. He's the one that uh, uh, was crucified. You remember that? Well, yeah, we do. Do you remember of the big uh, to-do when uh, uh, they say that he rose from the dead and they tried to cover it up for uh, uh, 40 days? He was showing himself all over the place. And then on Pentecost, uh, uh, something massive happened right here in Jerusalem where all of a sudden everybody started speaking in known languages and the gospel was good. Do you remember that? Well, yeah, we do. And he became like all people in order that he might win some. For though I am free from all men, Paul said, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. Now Paul says, listen to the weak. I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Folks, we'll close with this. Paul said, if I need to follow the law in order to reach Jewish people, that's what I'm going to do. If If I need to just forget about the law in order to reach the Gentile people, if I need to uh, uh, get off my Jewish-type clothing and dress more like a Gentile in order so that they'll listen to me and not think I'm some crazy weirdo, I'll do whatever it takes in order to win the lost. Can I ask you, where are you? What am I willing to do to reach folks for the gospel of Christ? You know, there's only one reason why someone will come through that door that's never been through it before. I'll make it two reasons. One is because we went out into the highways and the byways and the streets to our places that we go to every single day or at least on occasion, and all of a sudden you strike up a conversation with somebody. And all of a sudden it's like, 
If you died right now, you know where you'd go? And on occasion, they'll say, no. Would you like to know? Well, yeah. Wouldn't everybody? No. <laughs> but I'm glad you do. And maybe they don't want to hear the gospel in this whole, but you're like, hey, I like you. How about coming to church? Really? Yeah, let's go to church together. I'll sit with you. Tell you what, we can even go out for coffee afterwards. I'll take you to dinner. And you strike up a relationship. Next thing you know, instead of this section being just full, that section's full, that section's full, and that's what's been happening. That's why we put over 120-some new seats over there, because that's what you all been doing. Praise the Lord for that. So let's do as the Apostle Paul did, become all things, not sinful things, but I become all things to all men and women that I might by all means save some. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the wonderful example of Paul. Thank you for the practical application that you've given to us in this passage. What a wonderful, wonderful amount of work you accomplished through that one person. Father, would you help each one of us this week as we leave here in just a moment to be busy about your work. Lord, there's some people like my dear friend's wife who passed away this week in a tragic accident. Some 50 years old, life's over. We don't know if we have tomorrow. Would you help us to have a heart for people? Would you help us to love people? Would you help us to be like Paul and say, I become all things to all people that I might by all means see some say. Father, give us that tenacity this week. We'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.